Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 5, it is written, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up he was pleasing to God. And without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 it says that it is impossible to please God without faith. Now, the way that this is normally understood is to suggest that with faith it is possible to please God, but without faith there is no chance, no possibility of ever pleasing God. That's how most people will perceive this, or most people will consider this, how it's normally understood when people read this verse or when they quote this verse. They're normally thinking in terms of the possibility that if you have faith it is then possible to please God, But without faith, it is definitely impossible to please God. But what this then means is that if you have faith, it is possible to please God, but that there are some additional things you're going to have to do in order to actually please your God. And this is then normally followed up with the concept of works, that if you have faith, then there should be some works works of righteousness, works of God that should follow as a result of your faith. And if you do the works of God, then you will demonstrate that you have faith and through the demonstration of your faith as expressed through your works, then God will be pleased with you. That's what most people normally believe. I certainly do not believe this, but that is the predominant view within Christianity today. That if you believe in him, if you have faith in him, you then have the possibility of actually doing works of righteousness, works of God, and if you do, then God will be pleased. But if you don't, then he won't be pleased. Now, if you consider this approach, then how much do you have to do in order to be pleasing to God? I mean, if this truly is the criteria to be pleasing to God, then how will you ever know that you have actually accomplished this pursuit of being pleasing to your God through your works that you perform because you have faith. When will you ever have true, absolute confidence that you have done enough or that you have done the works that you should do? Well, the answer is never. It's just simply not going to happen. I mean, I understand that there are some people who do believe, or at least they tell me that they believe, that they have done enough in order to be pleasing to God, and that because of the way that they have lived their lives or because of the way that they are continuing to live their life, because of their repentance from their sins and their obedience to God, he is now officially pleased with them. And he supposedly will always be pleased with them because they will never cease to do that which they should be doing. That's normally how some people 
will respond when I do confront them over this. But in general, people are relatively uncertain. They're relatively uncertain, and I believe for a good reason. Because from what I can tell, the requirements of holiness, the requirements of absolute holiness is to be perfect as the living God. And if you are not perfect, if you fail to meet the complete standard of repentance and obedience, then from what I can tell, from what I understand concerning the scriptures, concerning the law of God, then you will not be pleasing to him. And so this is how this normally works out. For those who believe that they are pleasing to God because of their works, as far as I'm concerned, they're deceived. Honestly, I believe that they are deceived and that they need to spend more time studying the words of the Lord Jesus, especially when it came to the Sermon on the Mount and the requirements that he outlaid there, the expectations of your righteousness exceeding that of the scribes and the Pharisees, and he gives a number of examples concerning that. And I believe that they should pursue that until they can say with great confidence that they always fulfill and they will always fulfill the expectations that Jesus gave. And with that, if they still believe that they have accomplished all that is given there through their repentance and obedience, then as far as I'm concerned, I'm talking with somebody who is worse than a Pharisee when it comes to an expression of religious pride and a refusal to acknowledge the real sin that's in their life. But that, of course, is an individual situation. For the rest of us, for most of us, we look at the law of God, we look at the expectations that were given, and for people to be confronted with the fact that they need to be perfect as God, most people will acknowledge that they're not going to be as perfect as God. And so if you are not going to be perfect as God, then how will you ever truly be pleasing to him? Because when you fall short... When you fall short, not if, but when, when you fall short, then that will be an opportunity for him to be disgusted with you. And if we were to be more honest with ourselves and more honest with the sins that we struggle with on a daily basis, I believe the evidence would be overwhelmingly clear that our God is more disgusted with us than he is pleased with us. And because of that, I would venture to say that your faith is not resulting in obedience that leads to a position between you and your God where he is actually pleased with you. In other words, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, is not fulfilled, where he said, and without faith it is impossible to please him. I believe that you are still not pleasing him because even though you have faith, you have not successfully been repentant and obedient as would be required if that was the standard or the criteria by which you would be pleasing to him. So how do people normally respond to this? How will they then deal with the reality that they are not like God manifested in the flesh? And because they are not, they are not pleasing to him because of their works or because of their repentance and obedience, how will they then deal with that? Well, the traditional response is to call upon the grace of God, to call upon his mercy, to make up the difference for where you fall short. That's normally how people approach this, is they will say, well, I will do all that I can, I will do the best I can, and where I fail, well, that's where I need the grace of God. And of course, what does this mean? This means that when you first start out in your Christian faith, you certainly are going to need an awful lot of the grace and mercy of God through the Lord Jesus. But as you mature, as you mature in your faith, you hardly need Jesus at all. That's what this normally means. And I don't believe that that is the goal of the Christian life. 
the goal of the Christian life not to depend on the Lord Jesus. I believe that the goal of the Christian life is to depend on him more and more and to trust in what he has already accomplished, not trust or believe that he is going to continue to deal with our continual sin that we continually deal with as a way of compensating for where we fall short. I, I don't see that. I honestly believe that the entire sin issue between man and God was resolved once and for all at the cross, and that it was through what the Lord Jesus did that we are now pleasing to him only because of what he did, and it has nothing to do with what we have done or what we will do. So when I approach a verse like this, verse 6, I approach it very differently. One way to consider this is to consider the criteria that is necessary in order to obtain his pleasure, in order for him to be pleased with you, to think about it from the perspective of the criteria. If he is going to be pleased with you, you first have faith in him, and that's what makes it possible. Well, then what is the criteria? If you look at it from that point of view, I think you'll see that you will never be able to satisfy any criteria that you think could be established. But when it comes to these things that people pursue and that they measure their faith by, they're usually looking at two things. The first thing that they are looking at is their repentance from their sins. And the second thing that they would be looking at is their obedience to the righteousness of God or the right things that they should be doing. There is a list of things that they should not be doing. There is a list of things that they should be doing. And as long as they do not do those things that they shouldn't be doing, and they do those things that they should be doing, then they are fulfilling some description of a criteria through which their God would then be pleased with him. But where are you going to get this list? Well, you can start with the Old Covenant. You can start with the law, the law of God as it was expressed through Moses. But when you look at the law of Moses, he describes what you obtain if you do meet that criteria. And what you obtain has nothing to do with God being pleased with you, not really, not in the sense that I'm thinking of. When it comes to the law and when it comes to obedience to the law, repentance from your sins, he tells us exactly what we will obtain if we live in complete obedience to the law. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, the chapter describes what you will gain if you are fully repentant and obedient through the law of Moses. If you succeed in living a completely sinless life, then you will be able to obtain these blessings. And yet these blessings have nothing to do with a personal relationship with your God. These blessings have to do with how your flesh can be blessed. But when it comes to the New Covenant, people will then go to the words of the Lord Jesus. And as I described earlier, the words of the Lord Jesus can often be much more difficult to be able to handle than those of the Mosaic Law. As an example, in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus said that your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Well, the scribes and the Pharisees believed that they had found a way to live in obedience to the Mosaic Law. Jesus added on top of that law additional laws and expectations that were beyond the scope of the Mosaic Law in order to emphasize the reality that there is no way that you could be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect, that there was no way you could be perfect as God. But what would be the benefit if you could? What would be the benefit? What would you obtain? Well, in most cases, people refer to rewards in heaven. 
They refer to blessings that you may be able to obtain here, generally in reference to the Old Covenant, but also that you can obtain rewards in heaven. But that is not the same thing as God being pleased with you. I don't really see it as being the same thing. I mean, a lot of people may look at it as a reflection of how much he is pleased with you. But again, if that's the case, then what is the criteria that you need to fulfill in order to accomplish all of that? And I personally believe that you will never be able to do enough. Now, don't get me wrong. I do believe that we will receive rewards in heaven. I just don't think that it's going to be because of our works. I honestly don't see it that way. Our works in the sense that most people understand them, that you do certain things and you don't do other things. But let me explain it this way. When it comes to doing things or not doing things, when it comes to repentance and obedience, what we're generally referring to is sin. That's generally what people are thinking of. They're thinking of the subject of sin. And let me tell you something. You can be totally and absolutely sinless and God will still not be pleased with you at all. That is not where he's going to be pleased. He's not going to be pleased because you sin or because you don't sin. He's not going to be pleased because you don't sin. He's not going to be pleased with you because you always do that which is right, the right thing to do. That is not what establishes the criteria by which he is going to be pleased with you. That even if you were to accomplish that... That is still not the same thing. These are decisions and actions that you make with your own mind, out of your own flesh. And you can do a lot of things without your God. I know a lot of saved people. I know a lot of unsaved people. And you know what? In some cases, the unsaved people, if you were to look at their lives, you could consider them to be much more obedient to God than the saved people are, depending upon your perspective or the criteria that you establish. My point is, that which I am trying to make, is that regardless of what you do or what you don't do, none of that is going to matter when it comes to your God being pleased with you, because if it was the case, he would always be disgusted with you regardless. You know, when it came to Enoch, the scriptures don't say anything about Enoch living a complete life of repentance and obedience. That's not what the scriptures say. That is not what we have written in the scriptures. If you consider, for example, Genesis chapter 5, beginning in verse 22, it is written, Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. And then in verse 23, So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And then in Genesis chapter 5, verse 24, it says, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. That's all that we have to go on there. Consider again Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, where it says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him, for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. Well, why was he pleasing to God? What was the criteria that was described, that was given, that would say that he was pleasing to God? Well, the scriptures say nothing about he always kept the Sabbath day or he always obeyed the dietary laws or anything like that. There is no criteria such as that that is given. It doesn't say that he always loved his neighbors as himself. Nothing like that. What we do have, though, is that he walked with God. That's what we have. Enoch walked with God. Now, when we see something like that, there are all kinds of assumptions that people can make with that. 
But I read this very differently from most people, and so you can expect that I'm going to definitely come up with a different conclusion. Because when I understand the subject of walking with God, I look at it very differently. Again, if you want to identify walking with God as living a sinless life, then first of all, it's never going to happen. But even if it does, then all you have left is to go before the Lord and say, Look, you can be pleased with me because I have never sinned. Are you not impressed? And I personally don't think that he's going to be very impressed by that, especially when the only one who can accomplish that is God himself. He has established all things that we have in such a way that only he can be sinless. So everyone else is not going to be sinless. This criteria will never be achieved. There must be something else. There has to be something else besides what everybody seems to be propagating, assuming that it's going to go somewhere. But the Lord is not interested in these things. He's not interested in your attempt. He's not interested in your success. Definitely not your attempt, and then calling upon him as compensation for when you fall short. You know, this is normally described in the context of sacrifices and offerings. That the sacrifices and offerings that people present made up the difference for when they fell short. That's what sacrifices and offerings were for. But if you consider something like Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 5, it is written, Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book, it is written of me, to do your will, O God. And I spoke about this in a previous broadcast, that he has no pleasure. He is not going to be pleased with any sacrifices, any offerings that are intended to be compensation for where you fell short. And it's definitely not going to be your obedience and repentance is going to be pleasing to him either. None of that is. All of this has to be put in its proper place, put in its proper context. And its proper place and its proper context is all in the Old Covenant. That all of this is what is described in the Old Covenant, which leads a person to a point of despair and emptiness, to recognize that there is no way that they are going to be pleasing to their God, so that they can then recognize that the only hope that they will ever have of ever having a relationship with their God, of ever being able to walk with Him, will only be on the basis of what he does for them, not on the basis of what we do for him. So when he talks about having no pleasure in sacrifices and offerings, and that what he does want is the body that is prepared, is simply to say that what he wants to see is the sin issue between him and man come to an end. And it came to an end when the Lord Jesus died on the cross for all of your sins. When he died on the cross for all of your sins, he died for all of your sins. And to say that he died for all of your sins means that there were no sins left that were not unforgiven. And so you are now completely forgiven. And if you will believe that, well, then you will believe him. You will believe who he is. You will believe what he has said. And if you trust in that and rely on that fundamental truth, then he will be pleased with you who not only believe him, but also live on the basis of that belief, that you live a life trusting that. Unfortunately, most people do not. And this is totally obvious when they continually ask him to forgive them for their sins. When you ask God to forgive you for your sins, I'm not saying that you should consider sin 
to be unimportant now. It is certainly very important. But to assume that you're going to be able to obtain forgiveness outside of what Jesus has already accomplished through your confession, through your apology, through your acknowledgement of its presence, none of that is going to be enough to deal with the evil nature of sin. You must acknowledge that the sin issue between you and your God is over. And if you will acknowledge that, then he will be pleased with you because you believe him. That is the beginning of him being pleased with you because you believe him, because you trust in him, and your life is a reflection. You become a reflection of that truth. And so when I read Hebrews chapter 11, when I read Hebrews chapter 11, especially in verse 6, where it says, and without faith it is impossible to please him, I believe that it is this faith that is pleasing to your God. That first of all, what he is pleased with is what he accomplished through the Lord Jesus. But it is then your faith that is pleasing to him because you believe in what he has done. You believe the truth of what he has said and you believe that the sin issue has actually came to an end. The follow-up to that is to say that your daily life is a reflection of this truth. And let me first start with the notion of recognizing that God walks with you. I'm going to start with that, and then I'll go to the notion and understanding of what it could mean to say that you walk with your God. To say that he walks with you can be easy to understand in this context, because if he doesn't hold your sins against you anymore, then he can walk with you. He can go with you in your daily life. He can be in your presence. And if he doesn't hold any of your sins against you, there is no sin that would cause him to flee. There is no sin that would cause him to be disappointed or to turn his back on you or to step aside so he doesn't have fellowship with you anymore. If the sin issue has truly come to an end, then your God can begin to walk with you. And unfortunately, there are very few people that can make it this far, but at least it's a good start for others. Others do recognize this, and they can begin to walk in their daily lives knowing that their God is walking with them because he no longer holds their sins against them anymore. And this is normally experienced when people live their daily lives And in the midst of their daily lives, there are times when the Lord will speak to them concerning the circumstances that they are confronted with in their daily lives. He gives them some understanding or some discernment. He gives people understanding when they read the scriptures, when they read the word of God, and he illuminates something to their mind that they know only he could have revealed. There are circumstances of life when we don't understand what is happening around us, and on occasion the Lord will speak to us. Normally when we ask him what he sees through our eyes or what he hears through our ears. And when this happens, people can begin to acknowledge that their God is truly walking with them. But over time, as we grow to understand how he sees the world through our eyes and how he hears the world through our ears and how he understands the circumstances and the encounters that we have been faced with as we have been walking in this world, then we get to see the world from a whole new perspective. And in addition to that, we can begin to also see how he is personally interacting in the world that we are a part of. 
And when we understand his interaction of how he expresses his forgiveness and his long-suffering and his patience and his kindness and his gentleness and his self-control, as we see him expressing his love to others in the world that we are a part of, that we ourselves and he also together are a part of this world that he has created, then we begin to walk in a different way of life, of not just walking in terms of him going along with us, but also walking in terms of us going along with him, of us walking in this world that he created with an understanding that this is his world, this is his program, these are his people, and the opportunities that we have in the lives that are presented before us are truly opportunities for us to be participants in what he is doing rather than just enjoying the fact that he is a participant in what we are doing. And as we begin to participate more in what he is doing through expressing the love that he has for us to others and in giving to others out of the abundance of what he has given to us so that others can see him for who he is, then we begin to not only walk with him, with us, but we also walk with him. We walk with our God at that point when we have a greater understanding of what he is doing and how he is participating in the world that he has created. And we participate as he guides us and leads us to be participants in his work, in his activity. And when we understand that, the work and activity that we are involved in can quite easily be diminished in significance in comparison with the joy of being a participant in the work of our God. And when we do that, we testify of who he is. And so I believe that first our faith and our trust in him is what is pleasing to him. But as a follow-up to that, if we say that through our faith it is possible to be pleasing to him in addition to just simply our faith, I would have to say, What would be pleasing to him is the testimony of who he is that would be manifested as we are participants in what he is doing. Through such, we testify of the reality of who he is. And I do believe that that would definitely be pleasing to our God. In this context, in the context of Hebrews chapter 11 and the testimony of people concerning their faith, that that to me is what the writer is truly intending to get to, is that it's not about our works at all. It is about our participation in the work of God, which is a very different experience that can only be confirmed and realized as he testifies to you through his Holy Spirit indwelling within you. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries, You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937 or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you,